Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, What a fun day to have students from Vanguard here. Vanguard is a a school down the street. If you don't know anything about them, down the 55 freeway, if you're looking to actually get your education, you should go there. I went there. I told them earlier I met my wife in the cafeteria. So who knows what can happen, right? I don't know why you go to college, but that's why I went to college. Um, Hey, we are in the book of Job. So if you have a Bible with you, whether it is on your phone or perhaps you have one that actually has pages, those of you that are VIPs, you have the page kind, I get it. Uh, If you want to turn to Job chapter 42, the book of Job is the oldest piece of literature that we have in the Bible. Most scholars will say that and agree with that statement. So most of the time we begin all the way back in the book of Genesis, but if you think about it and you do your research, Job actually has a longer history than even Genesis, and you're saying, how is that possible? It just is, okay? That's where we're at. So a few weeks ago, we started this this, uh, journey into the book of Job. And Job, sometimes people have issues with this book because we don't know exactly the tone that it's supposed to take. If you jump right to the end of the story, it can mess you up. But if you remember, and I'll kind of do like a quick refresher if I can, but if you get back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Job, where most people read, and then they don't read anything after that. And when I say most people, I mean me. So I think that's what most people have done before. You stop after chapter 2, you're like, I don't know. And then you get to chapter 42, and you're like, oh, it's supposed to be a happy ending. I don't know how. But this guy named Job, who was blameless and good, had everything taken from him. Whether you have read or not, you kind of have probably heard stories like this before, where everything was ripped from him. Whether it was his family, all 10 of his kids gone. All of his livestock, everything he had going. And it's weird because as we look into the storyline, it's almost as if there was a weird bet in heaven about this. And sometimes we're like, I don't even know what to do with that. Why is it that God would even let what some people would say Satan into his courts and allow him to kind of bet God? Well, I know you you talk a lot about this Job guy, but if you take everything from him, he's going to curse you and turn from you. And God's like, that's not who my, my friend Job is. I'll let you do some things to him. Go ahead, take everything away, begin to hurt him even physically, but you'll see that he stays with me. And it's weird because we look at that story like, is that really how it works? And sometimes when we want to put God on trial, when you and I have gone through things that are really painful and hard, we put God on trial and like, is this what you're doing to me right now? Is there like a sick bet that you did in heaven right now and I'm going through what you just did? If we're honest, that's what we think it's all about. But Job, like our great stories in life, can become our our lens for how we see things. And I want to kind of put that that language before you. It's a lens. Much like the lenses that you have from other stories in your life, whether it's a movie that you love, whether it's something else, a song that really speaks to you, or a book that you've read, and you're like, that's how I see things. This is reality for me. So Job becomes a lens for how we see how it is that God interacts with his people. Is it all 
100% exactly how it happened, I don't think I can go there. But it becomes a story that for us, we get to see the heart and the character of who God is. So Job 1 and 2, everything goes wrong for Job. Job 3 and 4, his friends show up, and he's got friends. He's got three of them specifically, and then there's a fourth friend. You can read about this guy. He kind of hides in the distance a little bit, doesn't always make his face known. But he's got these friends that begin to show up, and he, they say bad things to Job. I don't know if you've had friends like this that in your time of great need, they have said stupid things. And I have even told you some of those storylines in my life where people say dumb things, especially online. When you're going through pain and trial, and sometimes we put it out there on our social media accounts or perhaps for the world to know, and then someone says something that doesn't help. It's like Job's friends. They show up, and they assume because in their world, everything happens for a reason. That's where Job's friends are at. And perhaps if you've believed that lie... And I'm going to call it out what it is. And some of you are only here for today. And I want to mess you up as much as possible. <laughs> because here's the deal. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. It's not true. We want to believe that and we want to assume that's how it works. Because we've been brought up in a culture and a society that says, if you do your work, then you'll get rewarded for it. So we live in a cause and effect world. And we live with this assumption that if something good has happened, it's because I put the work and effort into it. And sometimes we also assume if something bad has just happened, it's because I did something that I deserve this. And that is a storyline that is not helpful to any of us. Because sometimes there are things that we do that we do incur whatever pain we have brought upon ourselves. We have made poor choices. We made some stupid decisions. We said that thing, and you're like, I can't take that back. You're like, it's out there. But sometimes things have happened to us that we do not have the answer that we want. And I've been talking about some of those things. Like, what do you say to the person who says, oh, I just got diagnosed with cancer? There is not the easy equation that says, oh, it's because you sinned. That can't be the case. I can remember as a child, um, and my brother's in the room, and he probably remembers more details because he's older and smarter. Um, but as a child, I remember my mom going through all kinds of painful experiences in and out of the hospital. And there was a guy from the church that we were attending at the time that would go and see and visit and he was of the opinion that the reason that you're suffering and pain in the hospital is probably because of some sin in your life. And so would say to her, you probably need to get rid of the sin, and then, Sherry, you can just get out of the hospital. Exactly. You can sense that's not helpful to anybody. What do you do when you read stories like Job's? What is it that you do when you have friends in your life that text you and say, my mother-in-law just passed away from COVID three weeks ago? And then the same person texts me this week and says, my father-in-law as well just passed away. It's not an easy answer. I cannot just hand this book to you of the Bible and say, read it and everything will be fine because there are days for us that it's so painful. How is it that we keep going? How is it that we make sense? And sometimes we say, God, if you're good, then why in the world would you let this happen? And remember, this book of Job within this book of scriptures that we have becomes this lens for us to see that if Job 1 and 2 is real and the rest of the book, at least the majority of it, is Job and his friends just talking about, well, 
you probably messed up and you probably did something, Job, that you don't even realize you should probably confess your sins of some kind. You might even want to make one up just to appease the God that we're talking about. And by the way, I love the song that they just sang, the the choir. I don't know if you caught it. Sometimes it's helpful to have music when you sing the names of who God is. But for 37 chapters of the book of Job, the name for God is this two-letter word, L. An L God. That God is such a generic God. He's not powerful. He doesn't rescue. He doesn't fix anything. He's the name of God that so many other religions might use. But in chapter 38, we get a new name for God. It's Yahweh. This is the rescuing, redeeming, reclaiming name of God. And so when he shows up in 38 and begins to speak with Job, he has 60 rhetorical questions to ask Job. Were you there when I started things? Were you there when I put the whole world together? Are you there where all the snow is stored so that when it snows, you release it? And you can imagine Job as almost like a child being asked rhetorical questions. I love asking my kids these questions because they don't know the answer. So much fun. It's like this thing that I have over them. I ask them, were, were you there? Like when, they, when you get in the car and you're on that trip and they're like, are you there yet? And some of them are at ages where you're like, if I showed you a map, it would make no sense to you. You wouldn't even get it. What's the name of the place we're going to? It doesn't even matter. Just go with me, okay? That is exactly the tone that God is taking with Job. And he speaks in 38 and 39 and 40. And then Job is allowed to respond when we get to the last chapter, which is where we're at today. All right, all that for setup. Actually, one more thing. I watched the movie Clue this past week. You weren't ready for that, were you? I don't know if you remember this classic, beautiful piece of on-screen storyline from 1985. If you've watched it, if you've played the game, you know what I'm talking about. You're always trying to figure out who did the murder in the house. Was it Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the library? Or was it Mrs. Peacock with the noose in, like, the dining room? You got to figure these things out. So we decided to show our kids this movie. It blew their mind that it had three endings. I don't know if you remember this from the 80s, when they did crazy things. And, like, when 80s PG is like, I don't even know that's PG. (laughs) PG. Whew. Okay, so anyway, three endings to the movie Clue. Some people would say that there's even three endings to the book of Job. Here we go. Job chapter 42. If you have your phone, you have your Bible, there might even be some words behind me. And then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. He continues, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And Job replies, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Some would say that is ending number one. And then ending number two It's added at verse 7. And after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and 
Go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And some people would say, that's ending number two. And then the third ending begins in verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Bottom line, he was rich. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And if you went back and read Job 1 and 2, you would remember that's exactly what he had at the beginning of the story before they died. The first daughter he named Jemima. The second, Keziah. And the third, Karen Hoppuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. You get to this part of the story, and I don't know about you, I'm not sure if it's the stage of life that I'm in when I read 42, and I'm not all that comforted. Because it's almost like the bow is being tied too quickly. It's almost as if the story is being wrapped up so quickly, like they've got to rush production just to put the movie out, so we end with a happy note. We've had a lot of college students in this room. I remember talking to a college professor years ago who ran a creative writing course. And the professor's issue with a bunch of the Christians in that person's class was that Christians, when they had a creative writing exam, would always want to finish the story with a happy ending. And it's almost as if it's like being forced upon us here in Job 42. And while we appreciate what's happening, we love the fact that he's being redeemed in the story, can you imagine, I don't think the storyline of his original 10 kids would have left him. He wouldn't have forgotten their names. He wouldn't have thought about what he had before he had to go through the trial. And yes, the story is getting redeemed and reclaimed and fixed, but sometimes we so quickly go to the fixing of the story that we're not changed yet. And I think that there is a sense for Job that he still is in the midst of change. There's a few things I want to point out. Only the three daughters get named, by the way. Take note of that. If you drop down to verse 14, the first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found as women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And get this. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. Job is beginning 
to change the reality of his land. Because in those days, you would never give a woman anything. It's true. They had no standing. They couldn't speak in court. They wouldn't even talk in public. But Job takes what has been done to him and begins to fix all that's around him, even in this small effort of saying, when I die, my daughters will also receive an inheritance. Some of you have daughters. Some of you are daughters. And this world that we live in, even to this day in 2021, still has some issues with understanding the difference between the genders. And the storyline of Job is he is proclaiming what had already been proclaimed in Genesis 1 and 2. That in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There is power in what Job helps to put in place. And finally, the thing I want to really go after with you is all the way back in verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. This is Job talking to God. Job has just listened to God respond to all of his woes. He's also listened to his friends give him the bad advice, and his friends say things like everything happens for a reason, and I want to say that's not true because that's what God says. It's not really how it works. And when, when Job hears what God says, he's able to actually experience God for who he really is. And here's a phrase I want to stay in your soul and in your mind today. That you can't get to the other side of the redeeming and the fixing and the reclaiming until there's repentance. And I know we, get, we, we say that word and we get all messed up. You're like, what are you talking about? Do I need to come to the front at the altar? Maybe. But most of the time, it means that we need to repent of our view of who God is. Some of us have assumed things about him as if he's supposed to act on our terms. Like we have laid out the rules. And you're like, God, if you don't, if you don't do what I say, then I don't think you're God. And God's saying, I don't know if that's how it works. Like I'm saying to my kids, if I showed you the map, you wouldn't even know which way is north. For many of us, when we go through those hard times and we begin to ask the really hard questions of who God is, and we're like, where were you? Why did this happen? Like, what am I supposed to say to my friend this week when I talk to her and she tells me that in the last three weeks, both in-laws have passed away from COVID? There's no quick answer. There's nothing that I can say. And so in my text messages to her, I say things like, I am speechless beyond words. I, I don't have words to say right now. I am so sorry. I'm praying that God's presence is made known. And sometimes I'm like, is, does even that phrase make sense? But I told her this week, can we connect? I want to pray with you. I want to pray over you. But I want to pray with the reality for who God is in his rightness. Not in the things that we have made him. So the only way we get to the other side, to get to the redemption and the reclaiming and the fixing of things, is sometimes we've got to repent of the way that we have viewed who God is. And it doesn't have to be something flashy. You don't have to put it on Facebook. Probably just need to have it in your soul. 
that from here on out, on this day forward, you no longer buy into those things like everything happens for a reason. But here's what you buy into. You buy into a God who has been there since the beginning. You tell stories about you have always been faithful. I don't feel it right now, but you have always been faithful. And you open up stories in the scriptures, page after page, of people who have suffered. This is not a book of people who have it all together. There are some really messed up people who have done worse things than you. And even God deals with them. And he invites them into his kingdom. And he says page after page, I have never left you or forsaken you. 400 years of slavery and bondage for the Israelites. And God sends Moses and says, tell them that I have not forgotten. When they went silent for 400 years, in between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, people were like, where is this God that everyone's been talking about? It seems like he's been a little silent. It doesn't matter what page that you're looking on. The story is so true that God is faithful and he is good. It does not mean that everything in life is going to be good. It is sometimes really hard. And some of you are going through it right now. So when Job says in the midst of his conversation with God, I had always heard about you. I had heard everything that everyone said, and I had bought into it. But in the past three chapters, I have seen you. And now everything's different. When's the last time you saw him? I know that's a weird, esoterical question. It's out there, and you're like, what are you talking about? But when's the last time you saw him to be who he is? And if it's been a while, it's good to be in a place like church because you're surrounded by people who actually some of them might have even seen him this week. I remember taking students when I was a youth pastor back in the glory days on a missions trip, and we were uh, being formed by, uh, uh, there was a person who was helping to lead this missions trip, and, and we ended our day with a debrief. It was a daily debrief. And the three questions, and I encourage you to use this. The first two you probably heard about. It's like highs and lows. Like, what's the best part of your day? What's the worst part of your day? And sometimes we just leave it at that. But it was three phrases, pow, wow, and how. Pow, how'd you get sucker punched today? What's like the low moment? The wow moment. The second word, what's the high? The third, the how? How'd you see God today? And I think many of us need to ask those three questions every single day. Because we stop at the first two and we're like, what's my best part? What's my worst part? But if we always know that that third question is coming, our eyes are open to see what God's up to. How is it that he's moving? How is it that he's shaping? How is it that he's directing my footsteps? How is it that he is active? And when we are going through the worst, when we are experiencing the worst pain, I implore you, please do not say trite things like everything happens for a reason. It does not fix it. But remind people that God is sovereign and he is good. And sometimes when we want to get to the end of the story where everything's fixed, where Job gets 10 new kids and he's getting his land back and his money back and everything like that, most scholars will also agree that the ending chapter of Job is a foretaste of what's coming for all of us when Jesus comes again. It may not get fixed today, 
It may not even get fixed in your lifetime. But know that there is a king who is working. And oh, he has in his sights what's to come. And we don't even understand how good it's going to be. Would you pray with me as we finish today? God, you are simply amazing. As we have walked through the book of Job, our hearts and our souls and our minds have been challenged. Because every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, whether we're here in person, watching online, we've gone through those hard moments or we have sat with people who are going through it right now. And we wonder, if you're good, why didn't you answer our prayer? Why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you heal her? God, in this storyline, it becomes this lens for how we see things. And may this lens be upon our eyes this week when we leave this place, when we walk around, where we go to our meetings, to our appointments, to our life. You are the God who has never left us. That in the midst of the pain where it is hard sometimes, you will continue to show yourself real. I pray for the person in the room who maybe even be watching online, who is, it's hard to believe these words today. And I pray, God, that you would bring someone next to them that will remind them of who you are. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we need your healing. And we cannot wait to see what you will continue to do in our lives. Give us hope for today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that come. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Normally we have you stand and join, but today we're doing something different. And Joni's going to introduce this song that the choir is going to sing over you. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.